We have two sermons left on the Holy Spirit, one today and, and then next week. And um, today I'm going to preach on revival. What is real revival? There's a lot of caricatures of it. There's a lot of misconceptions about it, but we're going to talk about that. I'm reading from Ephesians 5, 13 through 20. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. They certainly are. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jack Deere, uh, who has written a number of books years, years ago, he was, he was at Dallas Theological, and he was a very devout uh, fundamentalist, and talk about the Holy Spirit made him very nervous until the Holy Spirit broke into his life and changed it forever. But I want you to hear what he said about his life before that happened. He said, before the Holy Spirit became real to him, he said, for me, the normal Christian life used to mean believing the right doctrine, helping out at the church, trying to be a good person, and witnessing when the opportunity arose. He said, I did not believe in any real revelation apart from the Bible. I didn't think I needed it. I was busy trying to live the Christian life out of discipline rather than passion. But then I couldn't figure out why so often prayer and Bible study took on the character of a religious duty rather than a conversation with a person with whom I was deeply in love. Looking back at that time, I realize now that so much of the Bible actually seemed unreal to me. I had relegated my experiences in the Bible to the distant, unrepeatable past. It had become for me precisely a book of doctrines and abstract truths about God. And I loved the doctrines of the Bible and its literary beauty, but I shared very few experiences the Bible talked about. Does that sound like your experience? Believing the right doctrine, helping out at the church, trying to be a good person, trying to kind of muscle through on willpower and discipline, and yet something is missing. It feels like religious duty. It feels like doctrines and abstract truths instead of an encounter with a living God. And to be honest, if you're really honest, there's a deadness. There's a deadness in your spiritual life, and you hate to admit it, and you don't know what's wrong. Does that sound familiar? This is where most people who go to church, even conservative evangelical churches are. And we wonder why Christianity is slowly dying in North America. I'm here to announce really good news today. The Holy Spirit is real and He is here. He is not some vague force who inspired Scripture 2,000 years ago and left us. He is right here right now, and he move, when he moves, individuals and churches are never left the same. We in North America need a revival. In Pennsylvania, we need a revival. In Harrisburg, we need a revival. In our churches, we need a revival. Here, we need a revival. 
We need the Holy Spirit to fill us individually and corporately, nothing less. Let me tell you the story of one church that was revived. And by the way, revival means to revivify, to, to bring back to life. Many churches need to be brought back to life by the Holy Spirit of God. It took place at Westgate Church in Seattle, Washington. The church was and is pastored by Alec Rollins. And he shares this story of his church when re real revival came. He said it started out as just another sleepy summer Sunday in Seattle, August the 23rd, 1992. Rita, his wife, and I had been at Westgate Chapel for four years, and I had started the honeymoon to phase was long over. My emphasis on prayer and the presence of God wasn't nearly as hopeful as I had hoped, as successful as I had hoped. We were running about 1,300 in attendance, but try as I might, I couldn't coax more than about 30 people out to midweek prayer meetings. To make matters worse, the church was made up of fairly wealthy people, many of whom owned vacation homes in warmer climates. So during the summer months, church attendance would drop by one-third. Ministry shut down. Leadership for Sunday worship was reduced to me, an elderly organist, and an occasional soloist singing to tracks. I hated summer. It could last well into October if the sun stayed out. Hmm. By August 1992, my faith was at an all-time low. I was in maintenance mode, holding on until school and the rain brought the congregation back and we could resume God's business. The 9 a.m. service went off as planned. We sang some worship songs. We introduced visiting missionaries. We took the offering. Someone sang a song to a soundtrack they obviously had not rehearsed with. I delivered the sermon. It was nothing to write home about. I could tell by the faces in the congregation that most were on autopilot, including their pastor. The 11 a.m. service began the same way. A hymn was sung, a couple of choruses, exactly like the early service. But after the choruses, as the people were being seated, I noticed that up in the balcony, one man remained standing. I knew him to be a godly man. He and his family had been involved at Westgate for a number of years. I also knew him to be a man of great prayer with a fantastic heart for worship. When he saw that I noticed him standing in that balcony, he began to speak to the whole congregation from the balcony. His demeanor wasn't frantic or ecstatic. It wasn't even overly emotional or passionate. He simply spoke with reference to Luke 8, verses 4 through 15, about how various soils were present in our congregation. Some soils were hard and crusty and resisted the sharp edge of the Spirit's plow. Some seed fell on fallow ground and wasn't fruitful, yet some soil, he said, was receptive. He encouraged us that the receptive soil in our congregation would soon find a reason to rejoice. He spoke of God's word breaking through in our congregation and how our congregation would melt in spirit and heart and how God would bring forth fruit in us. He encouraged us to seize the moment 
and put in our, what was happening right there in our memory because he said, we will never be the same after this. He said it was a day of rejoicing and breakthrough. He said it rather calmly, and then he sat down. Then that was he, what Roland said was when a miracle happened in front of our eyes. People sensed that God had interrupted our routine. Many who were present that day felt that God simply wasn't interrupting the service. He was interrupting the direction of the entire church. When the man sat down, Roland said, I looked across the congregation, and to this day I find it hard to explain what I saw. Most in the congregation, main floor and balcony, were simply weeping before the Lord. Some had spontaneously gathered into small groups across the sanctuary and began to pray. Some stood on their feet, eyes closed, faces directed to heaven. Others lifted their hands before God like a toddler reaching for a parent's love. Several hundred left their seats and streamed into the altar area where they knelt to pray. No one had given any directions from the pulpit. I was concerned that anything I might do or say would disrupt the work that God was so obviously doing. After a long while, I went to the microphone and said, God's not done, and we're not going to interfere with what he's doing. Please just keep your hearts open and surrender to him. And then I sat down. For the next 45 minutes, God took charge. I didn't preach. I didn't introduce the missionaries. Oh God, the really soloists didn't sing. We didn't take an offering. We didn't take an offering. That's we all just went to prayer. Finally, when those who had been in the altar area headed back to their seats, I went to the microphone and gave an altar call for those who had never given their lives to Christ. Twenty-five people came forward. The 11 o'clock service would normally end by 12.30. But by 1 o'clock that day, the sanctuary was still full. Another miracle. Nobody wanted to leave. By 2 o'clock, it was still very full. The people continued in quiet worship and prayer. God's presence broke through in an unusual way that day. The next night was our regular monthly board meeting. Not everyone had been in the second service, so the people who were there explained to the rest of the board what had happened. After an animated discussion of the previous day's events, a lingering sense of the awe of the Lord pervaded the board meeting. A few men on the board at that time were ex-military, so I asked them, if we were generals of an army and our commander-in-chief informed us of a breakthrough, what would we do? And the military man responded, we would throw all our personnel and resources into the breach before it closed back up. So that's what we did. The next Sunday, with the board's backing, we called for a solemn assembly to take place at the church on the following Wednesday night. Based on our track record as a church, I remember thinking, thinking that I'd be happy if 100 people showed up. The Lord was moving. We'd go from 30 to 100. You can imagine my surprise on Wednesday night when I walked out of my study and into the sanctuary to find the main floor and the balcony absolutely packed. There were over 1,300 people who had come for prayer meeting. He said, I explained to the congregation that the church leaders believed we had heard from the Lord. We wanted to take God's words to us seriously. We would humble ourselves in that meeting and not presume that we knew what was next. 
we would ask God what came next. That was the pressing question. What do we do now? The presence of God in the sanctuary that night was incredible. Everyone was worshiping. Everyone was praying. There were no spectators. The next six months, we canceled everything on Westgate's calendar except Sunday services and Wednesday evening prayer meetings. We needed that amount of time for a true spirit of prayer to permeate the life of the church. Everything changed. Worship changed. Prayer changed. The atmosphere in the congregation changed. The pastors changed. I changed. Hundreds now attended midweek prayer meetings. I tell this story because this was definitely an experience I'd classify as out of the ordinary. It certainly wasn't expected or planned. There was no way it could have been manipulated into existence. From then until now, the emphasis on prayer has remained a constant, not just in midweek prayer service, but throughout the life of the church. And we have certainly changed, just like the Lord said we would. We went from being a mostly Caucasian congregation to a multi-ethnic congregation with 39 nationalities now represented. We went from being a wealthy congregation to a mixed socioeconomic congregation. People still take their normal summer vacations, but there's no sense of abandonment of the church and its ministries during the summer months. Ministry continues strong all year long. Hearts have been softened. Lives forever changed. People have been humbled. That, my friends, is real revival. Some of you grew up in a tradition that said revival happened when some evangelist showed up once or twice a year. Those may have been special events, but I guarantee you they weren't revivals. Real revival is a sovereign act of God in response to prayer. Real revival almost always comes in surprising ways and in surprising times. Real revival cannot be put on a calendar and scheduled. When someone says they have scheduled a revival, they don't know what a revival is. Did you notice at how surprised the Watergate congregation was? They didn't see it coming. Because God is not controlled by our timetables or our schedules. The Spirit moves when He's ready to move and only when He's ready to move. And just like at Water, Westgate, not at Watergate, God wasn't there. Real revival, real revival. You want a definition? Real revival is an inbreaking of God's spirit in such a way that God's in normal presence times, all cannot of us can live be as if God doesn't exist, can't we? We can ignore his whispers and his nudges, but when God's spirit breaks in and comes with real power, you can do all kinds of things, but you cannot ignore God anymore. People must respond one way or the other. Christ's love, and, and here's when, when you know the Spirit is moving, when the Spirit is breaking in in revival, Christ's love becomes consuming. Worship becomes deep and heartfelt and a part of who you are. People are melted by the love of Jesus. Joy becomes the air we breathe. Charles Finney said of his, his profound experience, he was a great evangelist and, 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 and abolitionist fighting the slave trade in the 19, late 19th century. And, and he had this incredible experience with God that set him on his way. Listen to his description of it. The Holy Spirit descended on me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like the wave of electricity going through and through me. 
It seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. I love that. Waves and waves of liquid love, like the very breath of God. It seemed to fan me like immense wings. When the Spirit fell at Westbrook, people worshiped spontaneously. They worshiped because love came down and enveloped them. They were, these were not worked up emotions like some revivals I have seen. And I've seen, you know, you can, you can, you can fake stuff. You can. But when real revival comes, you must respond. You almost can't help yourself. The glory of God is experienced radiating into the midst of people. People are saturated by love. They see the beauty, the absolute beauty of the heart of God, which the Bible calls holiness. And people not only see it, they want it in their hearts and their minds and their lives. Hallelujah. These experiences, by the way, are not so we can have some mere emotional high. We're not trying to get zapped so we can say we were zapped. The power of the Spirit is sent for a purpose. And His first purpose is He is sent to glorify Jesus Christ, to reveal Him to us in the most personal ways possible, to energize and empower us to be His witnesses and to do His work and to bear His fruit and to use His gifts to change the world. God doesn't fill you with the Spirit just so you can feel good. But you will. <laughs> the Spirit, when He comes in real us. Re revival heals us and transforms us and sets us free and empowers us. He takes our lives to a whole new level. He is not just sent to make us happy and joyful. These are byproducts of a larger agenda. The goal of spirit filling is not to just feel something, but to be something. When revival comes, great truths become great realities poured into us and through us. Suddenly, all that talk in the Bible does not seem like the distant past. The Holy Spirit makes Christ real. And then He makes us like the Jesus He just made real. He changes us from the inside out. He causes us to want what Jesus wants and then to empowers us to do what Jesus wants. He gives us Jesus' desires in our hearts. By the way, you know, that's one of the most misinterpreted verses is, you know, I'll give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean, oh, good, I, I want something from column A and column B, you know. No, 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 no. When it says he'll give you the desires of your heart, it means he puts his desires into your heart so that you want what he wants. And after he does that, then he gives you the power to do what he wants. Because knowledge alone can't do what God wants done. Correct doctrine and Bible knowledge are critical, but simply driven by self-effort, they leave us empty in the end. Education, even Christian education, cannot produce spirit fruit. Bible knowledge, even as important as that is, can't produce power, can't make the living Christ real to us. The Christian life only becomes real when we let the Spirit move through us. Pastor Roland said, Lives were changed forever. Changed. Worship changed. Prayer changed. The atmosphere changed. By the way, you can, you can tell when the Spirit's moving. You can walk into a church and you go, oh, I've had people at times come to me and go, I walked in this church. I felt God in this place. 
The pastors changed, he said. I changed. Hearts have been softened. People gladly humble. That's when you know you're getting in the spirit. It's not when you're just humble. You're gladly humbled. And the church at large changed. I like that too. I love that the church became multi-ethnic with 39 nationalities now represented. I love that people from all socioeconomic classes are there now. That's real revival when the status quo gets thrown on its head. When, when dividing walls are torn down, when the kingdom of God becomes visible in our very midst, that's when the Spirit's moving. And the ultimate fruit of, the, of that revival was that people were filled with God's love. And when they were, prayer became the most important task of the church. With hundreds coming to worship and praise and seek God's face every Wednesday prayer meeting and other prayer groups, all over the church, prayer saturated that church. When revival comes, prayer becomes our heart. Worship becomes our joy. This is revival. When the Spirit comes, those that are asleep awaken. Those that are dead rise from the dead. That's what Paul was talking about just before he talked about being filled with the Spirit. By the way, a couple came to me this morning and they said after the service, God had put a burden on their heart. And all morning long, and they said, we, we love coming to church here. This, you know, but but it was, they had this strange prayer because they, it was... Lord, help the sleepers awaken. Help the sleepers. And all morning long, and then they said, we came in and heard this scripture and heard you preaching, and we got goosebumps. Brothers and sisters, God wants nothing less than to fill us with his spirit. And some people, that kind of phraseology, it scares you to death. Please don't let it. Please do not run from the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you a couple of stories of spirit filling. I asked permission of both of these ladies if I could share this story. One woman shared what happened to her. Years ago, she joined the intercessory prayer team in our church. She began reading the book, Touch the World Through Prayer. This person is a speed reader. But she found she could only read a page or two and then had to stop and pray. Well, that'll mess your schedule up. And then she'd have to read it again and pray again. As the days went by, she felt the desire to pray more and more. She began to feel this hunger for God, hunger for God more than anything else. She found she wanted more of him. It was the main drive in her heart. Then on one Saturday morning, she got up, she woke up around 4 a.m. And she felt burdened to pray. So she went into her basement. And although she doesn't usually pray on her knees, that morning she felt compelled to pray on her knees. And as she prayed, she began to cry. She said it felt like she was surrendering herself to God as she cried. The, fears, the, the tears felt like a sort of release, a giving of herself away. 
And suddenly she felt this intense desire to praise God. The praise wasn't coming from her head and not out of duty or ought to. It was coming from the deepest recesses of her heart. She just wanted to say the name Jesus over and over again as love for him poured out of her heart. The experience was so powerful that she began to tremble uncontrollably as the praise continued to pour forth. Jesus was so real. His love was so overwhelming. When it finally all ended, had taken approximately 20 minutes. When she looked at the clock, it was 7.30 a.m. What felt like 20 minutes was actually three and a half hours of prayer. Time was obliterated. And here's the thing. It shocked her, just like the people at Westgate. In fact, it scared her. She came to me and said, what was that? Was that God or the devil or am I just going crazy? And I said, well, you've always been unstable. And uh, No, I didn't say that. I told her she wasn't crazy. And I asked her a question. I said, listen, if you're not crazy, would the devil make you want to pray more? Would the devil make you want to praise Jesus with all your heart? Would the devil make you want to surrender to Jesus Christ? You can eliminate the devil. And I told her this. You, your experience was you were just filled by the Holy Spirit fuller than you've ever been filled. That's what it was like. It had all the hallmarks of that. This woman still continues to pray, and she loves it. Again, she wasn't working this up or manufacturing this experience. It shocked her. It surprised her. She didn't know what hit her. But it's the classic pattern of filling. A hunger for God. For Him. Not something He gives you. For Him. And then you pray. And then the more you pray, the more he asks you to surrender parts of yourself to him. And then you surrender that, and then then the hunger gets greater, and you pray some more until finally, finally, you surrender all of yourself. And when you surrender all of yourself, watch out. Because God finds that irresistible. And here will come spirit-filling. And it's marked by praise. And it's marked by being saturated with love. And it's marked by joy. And it's marked by power. This is what Paul meant when he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Prayer is the essential aspect of revival. And hunger for God himself is the ache that God puts in our hearts. Hunger for the presence of God is the first sign that the Spirit is moving in a new way. Hunger for the presence of God is a sign that God is surely at work When we start wanting God's presence through His Spirit, more than cars, more than houses, more than education, more than popularity, more than career, more than comfort and pleasure, you know the Spirit is doing His thing. And we have seen evidence of what God is doing around here. There have been dreams. I had one last night. I had a dream from God last night. I've got to do something about it. There have been prophetic words given. People, God told somebody something told me. 
And of course, there was the visions of the angels dancing at the news that has been given twice to this church now. Angels filling this sanctuary. And when, when I talk about how it is the Father's good pleasure to give us the Holy Spirit, they jump up and they have cheered wildly. Do you think God wants to give us the Holy Spirit if He's given us the same vision twice? There have been miracles. You know, one of the miracles was when we called a spontaneous prayer meeting and 60 people showed up. That's a miracle. One person called me this week. Two and a half years ago, something heartbreaking, ha heartbreaking happened to this woman and her husband. For two and a half years, this person had lived in pain and grief and loss. She questioned herself. She questioned her ability to understand other people. She questioned her use to the kingdom of God. And then last Sunday, this person heard me mention Zephaniah 317. And so on Monday, she got her Bible and she looked it up. You know where it talks about? He will rejoice over you with exultation. He will sing over you with joy. And as she was reading that, the Spirit fell on her. The Spirit made absolutely real to her that this was how Jesus felt about her. Over you with joy. I'm crying. I sing over you with singing. And she was melted by this overwhelming sense of love. And as she sat there in her home, she cried and she cried and she cried as the pain and the grief were lanced and drained from her heart. When this was over, God flooded the room with joy. She was healed, and she was restored. And she called me and said, I, I've told this to my husband. I don't know who else to tell this to. I thought I'd call you, and I went, I'm a preacher. I don't want to hear this stuff. I'm kidding again. You know, they laugh more in the first service. I don't know. Spirit moves different. <laughs> and then she told me, she said, I feel like I have just drank 10 cups of coffee. And so I told her, I said, look, it, Jesus has come to you and poured his love on you. He has healed you. He has restored you. But there's a larger thing going on here. Do you know what that is? And she wasn't sure. And I said, you've just been filled with the Holy Spirit. It has all the hallmarks. Again, the joy, the love, the energy, the power. That's what happens when the Spirit comes. Do you like what you've heard? Paul tells us, us plural, in this passage. We individualize this passage. You individually be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is, this is to the church. The church is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Revival is not just when a person here or a person there experiences what I've just described, but the overwhelming majority of the church does. It's all over the church. It's not just a few isolated people, but a church full of people who experience the presence of God in ways that they cannot ignore. Revival is when the presence of God is real and palpable to us all. Revival is when God's Spirit is poured on 
us. Revival is when the supernatural life of God becomes real and flows through us. When the body of Christ is filled with the Spirit, not a select few, revival has come. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit is moving in this church. We're, I've seen things happen, happening in, in, in levels I've never seen them happening here. And I praise God for it. God is working. God is up to something. But we still are not at revival. Not till people all over this sanctuary can testify like those two ladies can. We haven't reached revival. That's what's waiting. And, you know, I, I have to tell you, I cannot predict it. I've just preached that no one can predict it. But I do ask you this. Are you praying for God to move in this church? Are you longing to go deeper? Are you praying for the Spirit to fill you? Are you praying for the Spirit to fill us? And again, here's, here's how it'll work. Here's how it'll work. If you don't know where to start, you start with God make me hungry for you more than anything else. And then be real to me. And as you pray this and the hunger grows, God will ask you, will you surrender this to me? Will you surrender this to me? Will you give this to me? Until he gets to the big kahuna, which is he gets to you and say, just give me everything. Give me yourself. That is how that will work. And then you'll be filled with the Spirit. But you can't stop there. You have to pray not just for yourself to be filled with the Spirit. The biblical imperative is we are filled with the Spirit. And the supernatural power of God flows through us. I'm going to ask us as people. If people in this, some people in this church, I hope everybody, but some people in this church, would commit three times a week to 30 minutes a day to pray for revival in this church. I'm telling you, I think if we get 20 or 30 or 50 people praying, watch out. Um, watch out. The Lord is up to something. He's given us two visions to tell us he wants to pour his spirit on us. We've had two personal invitations do you want what God wants? Don't be afraid of the Spirit. Don't be afraid. Invite Him in. I'd like you to pray. I'd like you to bow your heads. Well, lift them up one more time. <laughs> That's a real sense of power. Anyway, <laughs> I... We're going we're gonna to end this service. When I first started preaching on the Holy Spirit in some of the first services, I hadn't planned this until today in the first service, but we're not going to have a final song and we're not going to have a benediction. If God is speaking to you, I want you to stay in your chair and listen and pray and surrender and ask for what you need. If God has put this burden on you that, that we as a church are filled with the Spirit. I want you to come to the front and gather in little circles, four, five, six people, and pray together.
that the kingdom will come and his will will be done at Harrisburg Bick as it is in heaven. And so here's how this service is formally ending. Go in peace. But if the Spirit's dealing with you, stay in, individually, stay in your seat and pray. If he's calling you to pray for us, come to the front and pray with other us's. Go in peace.